Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I have met this incredible, incredible woman named Megan. She was with us in the Dynamic Populations course in August of, or July last year, and uh, really impressed with her. In that course, she stood out for a lot of reasons. One, her competency, and you're going to figure that out on the show. But two, she inherently embodies this concept of coordination collaboration that was really felt throughout the class. And I think sometimes um, we talk about coordination, we talk about collaboration, but that energy can be really felt. And it was really exciting to see her pull that in throughout all the class and uh, really knocked it out of the park. And so I've invited her on the show. She has a background in county OEM. She's working at Cal Poly a technical institute as one of their emergency planners and uh, she's over training and exercises and so she has a wealth of knowledge and background and dealing with atmospheric rivers and she's got the energy and she's got the poise so without any further ado megan welcome to the show it's so good to have you here thank you so much i'm pumped to be here yeah i try to like hype you up because like you were the hype person in atlanta so i was like oh, i gotta hype her up you know pay pay the dues so Thank you again so much for meeting with me and um, taking the time to come onto the show. Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm super pumped. I had so much fun in Atlanta. That was a great, great, great um, class that, that we did all together. Well, really what makes it great is people like you, right? And um, the show really isn't about that. But for the fact that like that Atlanta um, class... What is deeply concerning, and I don't want to get into this too much of the show, but one of the instructors right after, a couple months after, had an active shooter at the university that he worked at. One of our students, uh, they had an active shooter at the university that's within his county, and he's the county EM director for their sheriff's department. And so he responded, or the police department. And then um, just this like a week or two ago, <clears throat> from when this airs, we had another student who calls me and says that uh, Louisville, there's an active shooter, and he's associated with that, and his father's a police officer, and he was on shift during that. And it was so concerning to me that out of our group of 40 or so, maybe 50, that the percentage of that, the percentage of people who are dealing with these catastrophic incidents that should end indefinitely. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's, time that we get away from all the fluff and the political arguments and the people who do the job start mitigating the stuff and again i don't want to like bring down this episode but the caliber of people who are in that course coming from all over the country and then having to deal with real world catastrophic incidents i felt um <clears throat> honored that so many great people came to the show or came to the the course and yet I wish they never had those experiences. I wish you didn't have to deal with that in the real world. But because you are at a university and because you're over training and exercises, universities have to, have to deal with a lot more than just active shooters, thankfully, if that makes any sense. Like, there's so many things that you have to walk through that are so unique and um, really specific to the university environment. For those who are mainly in that public safety realm, who don't really understand the complexities of a, a university campus, can you walk through some, some of your ideas of how maybe public safety, i.e. the county perspective versus the campus perspective, where that differs from your priorities and, and how you operate? 
Absolutely. So at the university, like we're a little baby city, like that's how we like look at ourselves, right? Because we have anywhere around 30,000 people on campus at one point between students and faculty and staff and, and all of that. So we've got a lot of people to take care of. We've got kids that have housing here, faculty and staff that have housing. And then we've got a whole other aspect that's just like food and operations and things of that nature. So <clears throat> we do function as a little a little city, if you will. But so the difference between the county and the city is like with the county, you're um, you're answering to the state, right? So you have yeah. that, the way that that works. And with Cal Poly and higher education, you answer to kind of the county and the state. So you've got two people because <laughs> we're a state agency. So right. um, it's interesting. And sometimes it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sometimes you're like, I don't know who to go to. Or the county's like, we can't help you. You need to go to the state. And you're like, okay. So there's different nuances with being in higher education. For sure. I feel like depending on where I go and like what university I work with, either if they have the backing of the faculty and they're good at writing grants, then they get all the funding in the world and they can kind of do like the fun stuff, but it's like night and day. And I felt like, again, maybe the polarity of uh, public safety, there is a lot of similarities. In fact, um, we had the EM director for Purdue university and she kind of mentioned that as well um, being a, a micro city, but with the, the delegations of authorities and how do you get your funding and the processes of that? How does somebody who is, wanting to get into the campus perspective and trying to understand how to be effective in that role, it being like a city, but you have multiple different stakeholders who control the purse, if you will. How do you navigate that system, especially when you want to do training exercises when most people who are not in EM are like, dude, I don't care about exercises. So how do you, how do you navigate that whole process? So that's like a great question because on the County side, we sat, well, the Office of Emergency Services sits right with the administrator of the county, the county administrator. We are hand in hand. Mm. So the county administrator holds all the purse strings, right? So he's he gives us all the money essentially to do all the things that we need to do. Higher education is really about buy-in and it's really about yeah. going and meeting your stakeholders, right? And and getting people to buy into the process. So yes. um, part of that is building this team here. So we have a team of four, which is super unique on a university level to have a team of four people. But we made it a priority to go and get the buy-in from our um, assistant vice president and the vice president, uh, the vice president and the president of the university. If you have the backing of the president of the university and the vice president, and they're signing your letters, telling people that they have to be engaged and they have to get this training and they have to be a part of this team, that's step one, right? And then yeah. once we get here, even though they're like, oh gosh, I have to go to another <laughs> training. Then it's about yeah. making it fun and engaging, right? And then you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then you've been been able to build this team. And we go, we go with skill sets just as the same as any other EOC. You're like, hey, I love that skill set. I need you part of my team. And part of that Fantastic. is is meeting people where they're at. So for me, I mean, I'll go to someone's office and do a training and bring coffee and muffins or whatever, just to like get in their good graces. Cause who doesn't love that? Yeah. And then, and then they have a better positive. They're we're leaving with a positive impact on them. Real quick. We're going to pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. 
How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Instinct Ready Kits are awesome, compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready fully loaded Stop the Bleed Kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready Kits and training at InstinctReady.com. Okay, let's jump back in. I love the this the process there of how you approach the training exercise conundrum because it, it's true. Like you essentially need the leadership to say go. And it's very frustrating when you're like, I don't want to force people to do this. I want them to be excited. But once you have them, is you you have a responsibility to keep them there and keep them engaged and excited and all those things. The funny thing is, even if it's required and they've gone once, they're going to try to figure out how to bail out of it if they didn't have a good time. There was one university we were working with where uh, they had emergency alerts set up and they only had 23 or 24% buy-in. Oh. And um, the, there, was an, there was basically a big accident. The, they had leadership uh, support, but that leadership sent an email essentially saying, don't opt out of this thing on your phone make sure it's turned on so people are like oh i can opt out and they actually went from 23 to 17 percent and it was like shoot like you know all good intentions still but um take your wins we get them and and keep what you get so uh good call out there for cal poly technical institute specifically you mentioned four people and I know of another university that has four people, and I love their makeup. What are your four roles at the university? So you're training and exercises. Do you have additional roles on top of that? Yeah. So we have somebody that's like in charge. We actually, yeah. So we have somebody that's in charge of management. So that's like actually our, my boss. That would be, mm -hmm. uh, that's the person that I answer to. And so he is in charge of just the day-to-day -day operations, making sure we all have a job, right? And then mm -hmm. I'm in charge of training and exercise. We have um, someone in charge of planning, and then we have somebody mm. in charge of readiness and logistics. So that's our team of four. Um, readiness and logistics. Hyper curious of what that entails. So Sorry. that's just, no, you're good. So that just makes sure that our EOC is ready at all times. So that's mm. just computer operations, making sure Copy. we have supplies, our binders are all updated. Um, and then like we're doing a, what we call, we do an all hands meeting once a year. And that's everybody on our EOC team, about 75 members all come wow. together for a meeting once a year. And that's getting everybody really pumped and engaged and uh, talking about the trainings that we've got coming up, how we're going to get them um, ready for the exercise. And then we talk about the exercise that's going to be in the fall. So that's, that's like our big team, team huddle, if you will. So yeah, yeah so our team is broken up that's fascinating the the reason why i called that out there the word readiness is because in and doberman emergency management i have two blacklisted words and one word is consultant they're not allowed to be consultants 
We it just has a bad connotation, even though that's kind of what they are. We don't want to use that. So we use the word support. We're a support. We help out. We support other people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's a vernacular thing. The other word that we're not allowed to use in the company is preparedness. They have to get special permission to use the word preparedness. Do I believe in preparedness? Yes. Do I think it's a great word? Absolutely. Do people, when they hear preparedness, think doomsday preppy? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And to be able to be more effective in our community, Doberman employees have to use the word readiness. And so a readiness person to essentially back everybody up and make sure that things can run smoothly when they, w- when they should run smoothly. Fantastic idea. Rolling it back to training and exercises though, in the federal government, we do like t- uh, two fire drills uh, every year. We do like all the, the baseline stuff. And then we would try to do other stuff like um, at the national cancer Institute, we would do like we had our cert teams and we would do like our first aid classes when you are dealing with a student population that every year is changing, every semester could be different. You have a lot of foreign students coming in and you have the staff perspective and they have their own priorities, research and whatnot. How do you strike the balance of, I want to make sure people are ready and yet uh, they have their own day-to-day jobs. How, How do you balance that? Like what is your frequency of exercise? So we do one big full functional exercise a year that Mm -hmm. is activating our EOC fully. And then, and then it's an exercise based on whatever scenario we choose. Right. So last year we've chosen atmospheric river and you're welcome because then an atmospheric river came this year. We were really, really, uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is why we like you because you're smart. Yeah. Well, The atmospheric river, like everybody else was before December, we're like, oh, it's going to be a La Nina and it's going to be dry and blah, blah, blah. And then California got slammed. So this is like a digression. I want to get into this later. But first of all, um, what is your favorite exercise type to exercise? If you could choose any scenario, what is your scenario that you'd be like, oh, this would be fun to do? I don't know. It depends. So in this county, we're pretty unique because we have a nuclear power plant. So we've I've done a lot of nuke oh. planning. So uh-huh. uh, nuclear power plant stuff is actually really fun to exercise. That's probably my favorite one. We really? don't practice it so much at Kispali, but it's pretty dang fun. My uh, my family's philosophy is if a nuke goes off. Now I'm talking about like you know WMD like missile. I'm not going to have any preparedness because I'm just expecting to just to like take it in the face and you know. <laughs> See a life that was good, but like I plan for wildfires and hurricanes and that kind of stuff. But I guess if you have a nuclear power plant in the county, I mean that's something to be hyper hyper aware about, and it's unique, <laughs> right? Like it's it's not like the flood again. No, um, we're the going last, back. The last power plant in California. You're the last the, power plant in California. The last nuclear power plant in California is in our county. I believe in nuclear energy. I think if you look at the incidents, even look look at uh, Three Mile Island and you look at Chernobyl, and those are awful events. Um, however, the amount of good you could do for such a long period of time for so many people and reducing so many issues. I had a, a seabird expert. In fact, I've had two seabird ex- experts on the show, and they were both like, yeah, if it's oil and gas or it's nuclear, nuclear all day, every day. And so that's uh, that's really fascinating. But the the dangers it presents are could be catastrophic. Fukushima is another one. Like a tsunami hits the power plant. Um, 
let's go to the the atmospheric river. So, how did you come up with choosing an atmospheric river out of out of literally everything? I don't know. It was just one that our team kind of talked about. So we work as a team, even though we have four people. I'm in charge of training and exercise. <laughs> yes, team approach High for fives. sure. Yeah, yeah, no, we we really, really work really closely because we are a small team, but we work super close. Mm-hmm. And so um, we just kind of chose it. And then it's we were testing out like, a, oh gosh, situational awareness and mm. uh, operational coordination. Like those were our core caps for the for the exercise itself. And and it went really, nice. really well. Yeah, atmospheric river. So you had a mudslide before at um, Cal Poly. You've had um, some incidents in the past of dealing with rain and mitigating rain. And based off where you're at, you've had a lot of impacts lately, right? Because of the atmospheric river events. How is that? Like, what were the impacts for that you guys were seeing and how are you mitigating that? Yes. Yeah, so There's a lot of how to's. This Too many how to's this time, but we're just going no, for it. Perfect. It's perfect. So Cal Poly is unique as we are an ag school. We have a lot of ag lands and agricultural things. So we have these really awesome things we call ponds, which are basically poop and pee lagoons for animals. Uh, and they were getting ready to open. word. Yeah. Pond is a great word for this. So they were getting ready to overflow and it's terrifying because then it goes into a creek and then it's in people's drinking water essentially. And that's a huge no, no for the water board, right? Which it should be. Yeah. So we had to pump uh, almost a million gallons of this pond water that we stored in 50, 21,000 gallon tanks and had them just lined down our roads. We had to work with the national guard and had to source them on their property and, and then it's been raining so much that we couldn't even get rid of the water because what we do with it is we spray uh-huh. our ag lands with it and use it as a natural fertilizer. Fertilizer. Yeah. That makes sense. It's great. Uh, except we didn't have any dry, dry days. And so we, we spent, I mean, a million, probably close to a million just on these tanks and this pumping operation and all of these things to mitigate this water from going into the drinking water. So the, that, was, that was a huge one for us. Okay, I'm not going to lie. Usually I say something like, if you say every disaster is different, you don't know analytics. Uh, but I'm going to call I'm going to call myself out here a little bit. I'm going to that's a unique situation. Uh, this agric- I've not specifically done, you know, a million gallons of wastewater, animal wastewater and lining my roads with it. There's well, so and- many like dad jokes I want to say right now, but I'm just I'm sure you've heard them a thousand times, so it's kind yeah. of like a poopy situation is what I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, real poopy situation, real, real crappy. Um, <laughs> were the, this is like totally env- environmental air quality. Were, did they contain the smell? Or when you're just driving down that road, was it just like So they, they the were like fully, fully closed tanks. So they had like yeah. a pool at the top that was. Sure. And so no, it didn't really, it didn't smell. That's good. Yeah. I know that, um, like, even when things are sealed off, as they should be, right? Like, that the smell can still get out, and I can't even imagine. You know what? I can't imagine. I'm in the Midwest. What I'm, ta- what am I talking about? We, you know, this is like. It's funny enough when I moved to the Midwest. This, this is again me being all over the place today, <clears throat> or when I came back to when I was uh, engaged to my wife uh, ten years ago. 
we got off the plane and our immediate she immediately went ah oh, fresh air and i immediately at the exact same time uh i said oh my gosh it smells like corn and we said it the exact she's like oh fresh air i'm like ah oh, corn so i don't know everywhere you go has a has a scent now hopefully cal poly doesn't smell like animal waste water for too long but um so what next really, like it, yeah it like flushed all of our ponds really and they're mostly uh regular water we also have a reservoir right. in cal poly and we were really we, we were seeing uh a ton of flooding so the january 9th storm was really the catapult to the atmospheric rivers for us and yeah. this reservoir that we had which was all fresh water so we weren't super concerned about the water exactly but the dam the embankment itself started failing and oh. that was huge it took out we had just uh, put down some turf on some soccer fields. I mean, brand new turf, $5 million project, all the Jeez. wonderful, and it destroyed. So by the dam, the embankment just like seeping. So all this water is just coming through. It destroyed the turf, It the water oh, movement yeah. and, and the way it just flooded, we were would have never expected. And so that was a huge project too. They actually had uh, contractors out here the next day, just building that up as quickly as possible, just adding more dirt and compacting it and trying to make it safe to hold water. Plus trying to relieve some of the water out of the reservoir itself. Cause if that were to fail, it would be a catastrophic fail and it would take out some of the San Luis city, not just the, it wouldn't just affect oh. our university. It would affect the city and the County properties as well. The, so. in relation to just give like some spatial, geospatial understanding where's the dam and where is cal poly and where's the city is it all downhill from the dam or is it adjacent it is. and just like okay it's pretty yeah. all downhill so so from like where it was failing i mean it was just coming straight down and then it was it was impacting a railroad way and it was going over like railroad trussels i mean it was it was a wreck luckily we were able to get kind of a hold on that and we threw they threw up i think uh plastic sheeting and hay bales during the storm to try to hold it oh. in place um, plus like i said like relieving and pumping a ton of the water out of the the reservoir itself trying to move some of that water try to keep water they they threw a um a culvert in to uh, divert water from going into the reservoir you know mm. so there was a ton of mitigation happening well, our response, I should say, not mitigation, response happening during the mm -hmm. storm just to try to alleviate that from failing. In terms of the dam, is that like one of your biggest concerns at the university, if you got a direct hit from that? Uh, it wasn't until, <laughs> I don't think until January 9th. <laughs> I know this guy who runs a company that does geospatial analysis. Maybe we should talk. Uh, no, that's funny. Um there's a report, I think it's from the New York Times. It came out a few years ago. It's one of my listeners, if you're listening, find it posted on one of our posts. But um, it said that 90% of the dams in the United States do not have an evacuation plan at the base of that dam. And even worse, uh, out of those 90% of those dams that don't have evacuation plan, uh, it was like something like 75% of them uh are 50 years or older which is considered the original lifespan of dams they're supposed to have um um engineering upgrades after 50 years and they were beyond 50 years so oh you're God. looking at public and private dams across the united states that 
just have, you know, or they're, they're hanging on by a prayer essentially and no plan. So good call out, good reminder for everybody. If you're, if you're working for a municipality or for a university, start looking around the surrounding areas of things that could impact your region, i.e. Your, you know, your sphere of influence, whether it's dams or the nuclear power plant. We had one university that we were working with. We just got hired like, I don't know, it was like a week or two into the project. So like almost nothing had been done at that point. And he calls me up, the EM director, and he goes, hey, there's a plume headed towards our university should we evacuate? And I was like, hey, man, um, I'm at the National Hurricane Conference right now. Back back up for a second. And tell me what's going on. Because he was a team of one. You're very lucky. You, you mentioned it. Team of four. Yeah. Amazing. I believe in the team of four uh, concept for universities. Anyway, so it was him, the communications director, and the president of the uh, university phone call, and me at the National Hurricane Conference. No situational awareness whatsoever. So my very first question was, what's in your hazard, you know, hazard vulnerability assessment? Where's the factory? Is it headed towards you? And he's like, I don't know. So I'm like, let's get the fire chief on the call. So um, really quickly, within like, you know, 10, 20 minutes, we've, we figured it was just safer to evacuate the campus. It's going to be over a weekend anyways. But it was something they had like no situational awareness on because it was 20, 30 miles down the road. And they didn't think about using that in their hazard vulnerability assessment. So probably a, a pretty good reminder for everybody so going back here you had you had to deal with the ponds you had to deal with these it's really sad to hear what when you put all that work into like making your university more beautiful and it just gets destroyed uh what about student housing was there impacts to classes and or how did the student population deal with the you know the atmospheric river event so the January 9th storms, we ended up shutting down campus for two days for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. San Luis Obispo County is um, kind of in a weird space and we were having mudslides on our freeways that were incoming and outgoing, essentially. So we sent Jeez. everybody home and um, it was just safer. We just felt like it was safer for folks to go home. There were a few people who couldn't make it home. So the university actually got them hotels locally and were able to keep them safe and and uh, things like that. So it did have impacts to campus. We never lost power. We didn't ever lose, you know, feeding services or ways to like feed people or anything of that nature. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. I don't think anybody that morning was like, oh, this is what we're going to, we're like, oh, it's some rain. And it was like much bigger than just some rain. Yeah. Uh, if you had to do your atmospheric river event exercise again, based off of real world, what happened before and like maybe those after actions, or if somebody needs to create an atmospheric river event, i.e. they live on the West coast and now they're dealing with like major drought to major rainstorms and potential flooding. How would you go about creating an, a training, just like a 50,000 foot level? How would you go about creating an atmospheric river training event for a university? So for us, it's again, reaching out to the stakeholders. So we actually, when we go to create a training and like a, a, a functional exercise, if you will, I reach out to people that it would actually affect. So facilities, right? Somebody in facilities Love and custodial and, and those folks are our ag ops. We reached out to them to say like, well, how would this affect you? I will tell you one time we did write something that was similar to an atmospheric river. And we said that goats were drowning. And that's actually 
wrong because goats don't goats goats can swim is what we learned they're like that can't actually happen i'm like wait what <laughs> so so some of that artificiality you can utilize by just talking to your stakeholders and and really mm-hmm. um and really working with them so there's a surprise element to an exercise but then there's also like a reality element too you know in working within those artificialities you know, it's funny. People are like, don't fight the exercise. You know what that's really saying? I created a crappy exercise and that's unrealistic. And so you're keep on fighting. You're like, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. Exercises should be... Sh- well, there's different reasons to do exercises or trainings. One of my tenants, and you've seen the way we do training, it should be stress activated. It should get people to think on their feet. But like, what are you testing? And one of the things to test is your confidence level and get people's confidence level high. Another thing is to identify gaps. But at all times, if you were like doing like the zombie apocalypse or like the alien invasion, it doesn't allow people to get become immersive. And it doesn't allow them to like start wrapping their head around like, what would I actually do if it's so unrealistic? The scenario can be rare and the scenario can be you know, low frequency, high consequence kind of stuff. But you still should always bring it back to like plausibility. Like uh, what is what is going to actually happen here? So I think that's fantastic that you're calling that out. I'm surprised that the goats don't drown. I mean, it makes sense that they could swim, but, you know, that's totally <laughs> random, like random thing you learn. That was so. my random fact of the day, I think. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> uh, I was going to make a, a really dark joke. We may edit this one out here. I was going to say, we just learned that 18,000 cows can't survive a fire. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't hear about that. It happened uh, just on the news. 18,000 cows just um, died in an explosion in, fa- in a factory. Um, yeah, we might edit this out. The cows. But, yeah, poor cows. I, I feel bad for the person who's... I think of it as a small business owner. Now they probably have a huge operation, but like you work your whole life to get this thing up and then like, boom, all gone. Animals impacted. Your business is impacted. Everything's impacted. I also am much more aware of homeowners and how devastating disasters must be for them because they put all this time and attention to painting the walls and doing that and the pictures up and, all that time, all that effort, and you have a wildfire, you have a flood, or you have you know something happen. And we really need to start mitigating that stuff as much as humanly possible. We saw when, a lot of that in our, in our county. I mean, a ton of homes ended up red tagged, and it was devastating, super devastating. I was, I was watching it on the news, and I just was like, you know, it's just watching those visuals of like people's flooding and the mud and up their walls and stuff like that, and they can't really do anything about it it's terrible so so tragic from the from hurricanes to wildfires i tell people i'd rather go through a hurt or i'd rather go through a wildfire than a hurricane or a tornado because in a tornado all your stuff is just destroyed but you can recognize it in a hurricane it all becomes mud and you're trying to like wipe it down and trying to see if you can save it and the emotional process of that is awful in a wildfire, what we would get is like, I know I had a, I know I had stuff in there, but I don't really remember everything that was in there. Yeah. And so it's like almost like a segregation. And it, you're talking about disaster, something that's awful that's happened, obviously. But yeah. in terms of like the psychological impact, I would prefer just like, okay, it's gone. 
now I have to do something rather than just like wiping and wiping and wiping, um, which is pretty insane to think about. I can uh, yeah, right. Hey, you get it. High fives. It. We're a team. Um, Megan, your final thoughts here. You're an expert in all kinds of different things in emergency management. You have a great perspective with Cal Poly as, you know, this miniature city, if you will, but also the unique circumstances of multiple stakeholders and learning, you know, that dropping off a donut and just saying hi can can get you in the door. If you're going to give advice to emergency managers who are looking into the university perspective, what would you call out for maybe some of the warning signs and solutions for them to navigate so that they can be productive? Yeah, I think it is buy-in. I think buy-in is your number one hurdle. So if people don't buy into what you're selling, no matter how you sell it, it's not, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. So you mm -hmm. have to meet people where they're at. And sometimes it's a little bit almost like psychology, right? Like working with people and figuring out like what, what, what they're into. So even if you can connect with them on like, Hey, you do you like hiking? Like, I like hiking. Like, let's go talk about hiking. And then you can kind of like get in the door. It's, it's all about getting in the door or just making those connections with people. Mm take you anywhere. I really feel like it can take you anywhere and can really build your program. Well, this conversation took us anywhere and everywhere because I kept on having lots of different questions. You were like, this is like my ultimate how to episode to the extreme. <laughs> uh, Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show, for talking to me, for giving me some advice to the field and really walking us through like a re recent incident and how exercises or training impacted you know, real world. And now you can improve upon that and uh, talk about, you know, unique circumstances there. So thanks again for sharing your perspective with us. Thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. So much fun. And you have to tell me when uh, my next training is. I want to come back. Uh, deal. Maybe we should just make you an instructor and a leader and our high person and our marketer. And what else can we put you as? That'd be helpful <laughs> for us. Training and exercise <laughs> coordinator. Uh, you get really, it. it it's a pleasure to, to see how your mind works and we saw that in, um, in Atlanta and on this episode and uh, have a ton of respect for what you're doing out there. And we hope uh, that you do not add to our cohort who have had crazy incidents. Um, keep it cool there. And um, yeah, fingers crossed. We will um, move on to the next episode. For those who are listening to the show, Always give us that five-star rating and subscribe. If you're doing things with universities or hospitals, things with campuses, i.e. your mini cities, what are some of the things that you're doing to help you find success? How are you reaching out to get buy-in from stakeholders? Is it donuts? Are you going hiking? Are you begging at, you know, at their feet? Whatever you need to do, let us know what's been effective for you, and we'll see you for the next one. Peace. Peace.